fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about guns with my friend Vienna. Guns. Guns. We're shooting, baby. Pew, pew. Pew. <laughs> How are you, Vienna? <laughs> I think this is going to be a weird record. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, Yeah. That's kind of all I got. Uh, it's very weird feelings uh, regarding the one-year anniversary of the uh, murder of the Afzal family in our city. Um, I, it is incomprehensible to me that it has been a year already. Um, nothing has changed. Nothing has resulted from this. Um, it's just shit. Um I mean, but Justin on a Trudeau level, came and visited. I'm also doing okay. Yeah, he, Justin Trudeau <laughs> came and visited, and when somebody said, "We want actions, not just words," he said, "Actually, um, words matter, don't you know?" <laughs> words. Literally, he said that. I mean, words are important. Actions are usually better. <laughs> just saying. Uh, but yeah. If you only have words to offer, words are, you know, got to defend those words. Yep. I, you know, I was outside waiting for, uh, because uh, I live closer to the end of the uh, march that was supposed to take place. And I was not expecting the speeches to last like three to four hours. <laughs> so after pacing around uh, the neighborhood with my son, we eventually went home and missed the march that uh, left the location just as we got home. So, uh, it also started to rain by the time they finally marched, which is the main reason we went home. So, but uh, mm. you know, it it was nice seeing uh, the community come together again for something like that. Uh, they did unveil a sort of like memorial for them on the corner where the uh, attack took place, and uh, you know, I think th there's some aspects of this that are good. But like as you said, like it would be nice if they uh, do. So I mean. Justin Trudeau did meet with the NCCM again uh, a couple days, well, like the day after he was here the other day. And mm -hmm. uh, again, it's like, are you just going to sit there and listen to people tell you exactly what you need to do? Or are you actually going to do something? And it would be nice if he actually does something. But we'll see. <laughs> not going yeah. to hold my breath. Not going to think that it will happen. He obviously needs more than a little push. And uh, we should hopefully give it to him when we can. But I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm okay. I, my eye is driving me nuts. So, uh, I, I mean, that's not going to affect the audio listeners to this podcast. <laughs> but my eye might look gnarly on the video version. Which, speaking of, you can go watch the video version if you become a Patreon supporter on our Patreon page. So, I, I will say, uh, we just released... Our first bonus episode, which is with me and uh, Eric of Big Shiny Takes, and the two of us are going through Ezra's book, Shakedown, and we're doing like a chapter per episode. So the episode that just dropped was just the forward and the introduction, and we also just introduced the topic generally ourselves. So we, we talked for a, a long while, but it, it should be enjoyable. 
And if you uh, become a Patreon, you'll have access to that. And uh, and we will love you. It is our gift. We figured, I, well, like I figured we should have a little bit more bonus content for our, our Patreon supporters. Uh, so something that's just a little bit more exclusive to them. We also, uh, I, I changed the tiers around and stuff like this. So we, we finally got rid of Joel Pollock's annoying cell phone as the top tier of the Patreon because Joel Pollock stopped having a cell phone that would go off every time he was on Ezra's show. And so I feel like the joke sort of like saw its time. So now the top tier is officially World Economic Forum Collaborator. <laughs> and uh, so if that's... One of us. One <laughs> of us. So if that interests you, you can go sign up to our Patreon. But at any level, you'll be able to have access to the bonus bonus episodes. So... Uh, thank you to our Patreon supporters that already have been donating to us. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to start uh, doing more things of like how to improve that. But if that's something, if if you listen, but you're not a Patreon uh, supporter yet, uh, please consider joining. It would be lovely. We put a lot of work into this. So uh, we would appreciate any help you're willing to give us. You'll get to see us both stroking our beards at the same time. Hell Yeah. Hell yeah. But on that note, this is going to be a random episode. It's a very random episode, but uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's going to have some moments. <laughs> All right. Moments will be had. Are you ready, Vienna? I am prepared. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. On this episode, we cover the week of May 30th to June 3rd. And the funny thing is on May 30th, we don't have an episode to go over because they reposted the Friday episode from the week before. Now, in the... (laughs) When the episode itself, while it's posted, has a description for a new episode. It says there's a guest host. So they they recorded an episode. They just uploaded the wrong file. And when I listened to it, it was a week after they had posted it. And so I'm struck with like... Here's the thing is like... They clearly get money. <laughs> Somebody is throwing money at them at some level. And yet, they can't have that many people watching their show if the the thing they post online can be incorrect for an entire week and no one even notified them. <laughs> right? Yeah. It... Yeah, like, unless they're just too, like, his audience just doesn't read the descriptions, weren't aware that the Monday episode is just a reposting of the Friday episode or something, or a few people did complain and just Rebel cares so little about the people who listen to their show that they didn't fix it. Like, I don't, I don't know. And there could be so many uh, explanations for why this is. I just feel like I would spend a few seconds on it because, like, that is treating your audience like shit. <laughs> Just like putting okay. out subpar content. I have been 
scrolling on their Twitter trying to get to like when they posted the episode since you mentioned that like it was the same week and I'm still on I just made it to yesterday <laughs> I've been scrolling this whole time they tweet so much they have a Spanish language thing now yeah We're, well you know it's it actually doesn't come up it, like he he brings it up in the first part of uh the Tuesday episode which I think we've talked about it already. They hired a new person who is their like uh, employee who's supposed to be checking out the border on the the southern U.S. And yeah. he is someone who can speak uh, Spanish, and so they're now getting him to also do Spanish reports because, as Ezra says on the Tuesday episode, even though I didn't clip this, he's like, "There's a bunch of like you know anti woke." latinos now that need to listen to our content so uh that's what they're doing he also they they did some content involving the uvaldi shooting that they had since they now have a quote-unquote reporter there they sent them to interview some people and i didn't clip any of his content either because like it wasn't that great but i will say they had a long extended clip of their uh southern border reporter listening to this guy do this like weird creepy evangelical prayer <laughs> and like the cre- like the creepy of the- of it is like creepiness of it is like added to the fact of like i don't know like again this show didn't used to be as overtly religious as i find it is now yeah and and so it's it- just like focusing on that was weird like it feels like the change is really recent too yeah like it's not like, over the past, like, few months almost. Like, you know, slowly gaining ground maybe over the past year. But, like, it's still very, very, like, recent shift. Yeah, I feel like the beginning pieces of it were when he started focusing on, like, Grace Life Church and all the other churches, uh, like, Pav- Pavlovsky's church as they were defying the, the mandates. But then, like... Hmm. It, it, like, obviously didn't start as heavy-handed, but then as he hired, like, Adam Seuss and Kian Simone and these more, like, evangelical figures, it definitely has uh, leaned more heavily into that content, which is... Uh, yeah. And we're, we are going to get a piece of that in this episode, but... Especially because, so, when we get to the Tuesday episode, so May 31st, Ezra eventually wants to talk about the Uvalde shooting... Uh, of course, this happened the week before, and Ezra did not mention it whatsoever. And thankfully, we don't have to uh, dwell too much on it, because Ezra doesn't have much to say about the shooting directly, uh, except mm. for things that we largely would uh, agree with, which is that the cops were cowards. Uh, they didn't... I mean, what is their job? Uh but like, you know, the societally, societally designated job, what they're supposed to do is to go in that building and stop the shooting. And they couldn't even do that, uh, which leads to the question of why even have them in the first place. But that is something that Ezra uh, at least agrees with in terms of like acknowledging that there was a police failure here. But he doesn't have much to say uh, beyond that. We will get to that clip in like one second. But I, I, the only reason he's talking about the Uvalde shooting is because Justin Trudeau is passing gun control. OK, 
Okay. True. There's a new policy that's coming out, and so Ezra needs to jump on it to somehow criticize Trudeau. So that is yeah. the whole reason he wants to talk about the Evaldi shooting. Otherwise, he probably never would have brought it up. But that is why we're talking about it. Now, for Great. what <laughs> for what it's worth, the ban is... It's not quite a ban. It's preventing the sale of handguns or or at least like limiting the ability for people to sell handguns. Yeah. And it and the other part of it is uh they're doing a AR style uh gun buyback program program that'll start uh later this year. And those are like the two main aspects. There's other parts of the bill, but like they have to do with uh, various parts of the industry itself that, like, I don't know. I, I Ezra doesn't focus on it, so I, I don't care too much about, like, how many bullets you're allowed to sell or, like, <laughs> whatever the, yeah. the, the fine grain stuff is. Uh, but that, so that bill, it's now past first reading. And, of course, Ezra is trying to find some way to be upset about it. I think it's dumb. Like, I don't... The buyback program sounds pretty nice, honestly. But, like, the handgun ban is stupid. Like... I don't think it's stupid. What does that solve? Uh, well, for, for one, the Quebec mosque shooting was done with a handgun. And part of that just shows that, like, a lot of the violent acts within Canada get done by handguns, which shows you the level, the disparity in the amount of deaths because... uh. The Quebec mosque shooting, I think it was like six people were killed in that event. I think it might uh, have been seven. But, but either way, you compare that to like the 20 to 30 to 40 or 50 that die in U.S. mass shootings through AR-style rifles. Uh, but again, better yet, these things wouldn't happen if you had a, a ban on handguns. But so it was I, six dead, 19 injured. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm not like... Uh, the other thing, too, is this handgun ban was something that was coming down the pipeline anyways. Yeah. And so it's, like, funny, or, well, like, it's cosmically funny in that it happened around the same time as this, like, shooting happened, such that the right wing needs, now gets to make, like, a big stink about it, even though it's, like, this was coming anyways, regardless of what happened in Uvalde. Uh, yeah. Even though, like, it, it works it works in that, like, they coincide, and it, it, a lot of people are now thinking about it. So it could add to the pressure of the liberals to follow through on this, but... Yeah. Like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, why do you need a handgun in Canada? You know, they're not exactly hunting items type of thing, and that's the main reason that most people would have a gun here. Um, but it's also just, like... It would be so easy to sneak a gun across the border if you wanted to. Like, would it be a no? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> You're gonna try. <laughs> I mean, like, Imperial News investigates. How easy is it to smuggle <laughs> arms across the border? I don't know. Like, uh, I guess I'll, I'll hold Getting on. Getting arrested by border agents for just like, oh, it's an experiment. <laughs> I was doing this for for media. <laughs> I'll I'll hold on my hold off on my thoughts for now in terms of like because some things that Ezra says later uh, I think we could better frame this part of the discussion because I like I don't know I don't know right now I'll just say I don't know and then we'll answer it later so when 
Yeah. Ezra begins the conversation. Again, he starts off by admitting that the cops were cowards for not rescuing the kids. Uh, but then he immediately tries to use what happened in Yavaldi against the left. Yeah, that's like a fireman saying he won't go into a house because it's on fire. Pretty much defeats the purpose of a fireman. A cop who would let children be massacred because he's a coward and won't go in is inexcusable. The entire chain of command needs to be fired. There was a mom who showed up and wanted the police to go in and the police, police instead handcuffed her. When they took the cuffs off her, she actually ran in and rescued her children. What an atrocious event. They say, let the police help us. The police will rescue you. You don't need guns. The cops have them. Well, the police not only did nothing, they restrained parents from helping their own children. But that tragedy and the horrific crime and the mass murder is political gold for leftists. I have to say, some leftists really care about kids, but, but a lot don't think they really do. I'm sorry to say that. Um, they locked down schools and forced children to wear masks against all science. They still do this in New York City, for example. I don't think the left really cares about kids. They use that as a tool for things. I mean, these are people who often believe in abortion on demand for any reason or no reason until the moment of birth. And believe it or not, some leftists believe in abortion after the moment of birth. I don't think they care about these kids in Uvalde in particular. Some of them obviously do. But a lot of them just know it's a great crisis to be used to disarm all citizens. So yes, the, the left is going to use this to take everyone's guns away, uh, which leads him into the Trudeau stuff. But like, there's so much, like, I would have been so much on his side if he just ended with that first bit. Yeah. But it's like, again, like, th there's systemic things that you can do to, like, for one, police are a problem. You Like, it's weird how he's like, He's on that threshold of being aware that the police are fucking useless and then just like can't like commit to because like the next frame, the next argument is how the left sucks. But what was the left doing, uh, you know, two summers ago? There was a huge mass movement that Ezra constantly criticize, criticizes who was actively arguing against the police, <laughs> you know? For these actual changes, like there is a real solution out there and they were marching in the streets and you were against them. And you like can't see it. It's just so frustrating. Like he can't think of anything to say, so he has to default back to mask stuff. Like that's how like, like he's just got nothing to kind of like spin it on so obviously. But it's like even, even to compare those things. So like. On the one hand, the right wants an over-proliferation of guns that res like equates to many mass deaths and school shootings, and you have the left that is pro-wearing masks? How many kids have died from masks? <laughs> Billions. Compared to that, how many lives have been saved by masks as well, right? And then, like, all the gun shootings. Like, to even compare these... Yeah, but Jody, how many kids have been killed by condoms? All those children who were slaughtered after they were born. <laughs> Quadrillions, Jody. True. Just innumerable numbers. 
I, I should just say as well, the, the after birth abortions that they want to say are children who are, uh, or fetuses, I shall say, that are non-viable, which means they come out of the womb still living in one sense of the word living, but would not survive much long out of the, the body. Yeah. Like, it doesn't happen where they take a viable child. For one, like... It's very rare that a woman would carry a viable child that long, give birth to it, and then go, now kill it. Like, that usually would <laughs> would not be the process. But, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever, Ezra. <laughs> so it's like, again, they're trying to demonize people who are going through a traumatic experience, uh, which is disgusting, you know. And, and that, and, like, the funny thing is, like, him saying that, like, the left is going to use these the murder of these children you know when it's mm -hmm. like by him doing this sort of like switch here he's now using the shooting to go after the left as well and it's like you know what maybe like i think the thing is they're so trained to think that using an event politically is bad when it's like everything about that event is political it involves our lives it involves regulations it involves the life and death of people that happen within a society so yes it is very political. And so maybe we, there's a political solution out there. Yeah. So this gets to the earlier thing that we were talking about, which is whether or not uh, banning weapons will in fact reduce uh, murder. Mm -hmm. And so Ezra uh, throws out this argument. Now, I, I don't think he's going to state it way worse than you would. <laughs> I think your idea is more respectable. But this is like the extreme sort of uh, you've probably heard it on Fox News version of this argument. And there is no farmer or hunter who does these atrocities. No member of the NRA has ever committed a, an atrocity like this. It, it's criminals who do. It's, it's gangs. It's unstable people. They won't be deterred by any paperwork or any more laws. If you're willing to murder children, you're probably willing to violate some paperwork law to get your hands on some guns. No laws will ever stop uh, crimes ever, so we might as well. <laughs> like, it's one of those, like, yeah, so maybe we should aim towards the social conditions that create this sort of, like, thing. But, you know, that's, that's impossible. Can't even consider that. I mean, like... There's there's a twofold way of like doing this. So I mean, there's the uh, fixing the social circumstance that lead to like violence and and stuff mm -hmm. like this. Uh, but the other aspect is you can control the the sale of these things. Like you can control the sale of any commodity, and that would, I mean, like the, some of the things that you were saying earlier. I mean, like there is a sense in which we know that gun bans work, though, where it's like you can compare, for example, Canada to the United States. And see how one country uh, and the types of guns that are available here compared to the types of guns that are available there, and see the like obvious per capita or per capita difference in like gun murders, you know? Yes, but also like I do think that there is a major cultural difference as well. Like, I think that there is just such an overwhelming cultural culture of violence in the United States where like. You know, yeah, sure, you ban all assault weapons, you ban all handguns, you ban everything beyond hunting rifles and, like, you know, shotguns. And uh, 
only like, you know, registered hunters or farmers or whoever can carry them. I think people would be going at each other with fucking machetes. Like, (laughs) and you know, you can see that in some countries where Rwanda, most notably, where like, you know, they didn't need guns to do the genocide there. You know, once people are stoked up to that level of violence, which the U.S. is kind of constantly simmering at, they will find ways to do it. And, like, it, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, anything that limits that is good. But without those social safety net things, without anything else, if it's just a gun ban, I don't think that it'll do enough. Because generally, you know, yeah, you look at the, like, that's, people love to look at it in a vacuum. They love to just be like, oh, wow. You know, this U.S. has so many guns. U.S. also has the most poverty in, like, the so-called West or First World. Like, they have the most, like, alienated circumstances from everything. Like, you know, you can't really look at one without attaching it to everything else that's going on as well. And that's that's where this comes from. Yeah, I'm... I have some complicated ways of wanting to push back on some of the ideas of like the culture of violence. Like I do realize there are cultural differences. I just think it, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. And like yeah, that might no, take it, like a dissertation to get into. But like the thing, at least in Canada, with like a gun ban, I mean, because I guess it's like you you do what is more politically advantageous or what you can get done. And like part of me is like, at the very least. And, like, I obviously, people know where I stand on Trudeau, but I'm like, at the very least, he's willing to do one thing, even if it's like largely symbolic and like uh, doesn't directly affect some of the more systemic or social causes of these things. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, at least that is, at least, at the very least, it's a move in the right direction as opposed to whatever the fuck is happening in the United States right now, which is like none of that, you know? Uh, but then, like, I, I do agree with you because, like, I also don't want to, like, uh, just pretend like Trudeau was doing a great job and is solving this issue because yeah. he isn't, you know? Uh, like, I don't know. It's difficult because it's such a culture war bullshit thing, right? Like, and so you have just, like, you know, the liberals are going to be patting themselves on the back about this forever and the right wing is going to be super inflamed about this for as long as they can be. And it's like you know i i wonder at least in canada do they though, actually do anything you know yeah but i i wonder in Can- in the canadian context if the gun bag cuz i've seen a lot of people on twitter right now saying that like this is just going to inflame the right and hmm. even i mean Ezra, i mean we're going to listen to some of his response to the actual legislation but i'm like it's not it does it doesn't land in the way that the second amendment sort of like right wing in yeah, America yeah. lands. And so it's like I've already found that like people are already not talking about it anymore even though this happened like a week ago. And so it's, it's like I just don't yeah. know that it's going to have the staying power as like a thing that motivates the right in Canada as some people are are trying to make it out to be. But I don't know. We'll, it, yeah. It depends on what aspects of the right you're talking about here though. And that's also the difference between here and there is that, like, you know, there are a lot more splits and everything within the Canadian context. The hard right is going to be insane about this. Like, people I know whose, like, family are, like, you know, new blue types and, like, PPC supporters and, like, actively involved in that shit. 
they're going to be insane about this because they already own fucking like AR-15s and whatever. You know, they're already stockpiling ammo. They're already like waiting for their gun bans to come and that kind of shit. Like, so this will feel like more of that to them. And this, those people will be pushed further along, which might play it quite poorly considering that it's a voluntary buyback, I assume. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it, it gets, like, complicated with that stuff, though. Because, yeah. like, for example, when it comes to, like, certain st- issues that, like, uh, like trans rights issues, like, that's going to agitate them as well. And part of me is like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I would rather us move in that direction, even if it doesn't, inf- like, inflame them, you know? It's just we also have to have the other end of it where we're, like, preparing, doing the work like we do on this show of, like, watching mm-hmm. it grow and making sure that, like, we minimize their inflamedness <laughs> as much as possible, you know? But, like, at yeah. the end of the day, I'm like, I would rather those laws pass than not, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, like, all of it sucks, and none of it's ever approached <laughs> well, and none of it's ever, like, you know, considered in a way that might actually make things better. And that's what just, like, it's always frustrating. There is no there is no better. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, because that's, I mean, that's the thing where we're stuck with the parties that we have that are going to do the, like, bare minimum that they are going to do. And it's, like, it's hard because, like, you, you you compare that to, like, what we would get if we didn't have, like, liberals in charge. Like, if we had the conservatives, and it would be much worse on the conservatives. But then it's, like, we're not getting all the things that we do need uh, because, like, there's small fixes for a complicated uh, situation in which... There's uh, more structural, systemic, cultural, all kinds of things that we can do to like help mitigate violence and extremism and all this stuff that we could be doing that we're not doing. Uh, but like we're not we're almost never going to get that until we have the kind of like movements needed to like build that energy, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we're just we're sadly not there yet, you know. I wish, you know, if we could start the revolution tomorrow, I'd... <laughs> I'd be walking the streets with a pitchfork, you know? But not a handgun. Nope, because it would be banned. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) Ezra tries to make the new law, uh, which has only passed first reading, into an attack on rural people. So that's like how he's going to frame it. These poor, poor farmers and hunters. And his argument... Poor farmers and hunters going, bang, bang, bang. (laughs) A handgun firing at a rabbit. Well, you see, this is the thing. He he tries to make this argument that uh, Trudeau wants to restrict ammo capacity of hunting rifles. And as far as I can tell, uh, Bill C-21, which is the uh, bill that has to do with the, the handguns and the firearms, uh, it only discusses manually altering a weapon to increase its ammo capacity as mm-hmm. something that will add an additional criminal offense. And so he goes on about like the hunting rifle thing and I'm just like, it doesn't apply in this situation. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know why this is, like, the angle he decides to take. Uh, but then, so, the, the argument is going to build, but he's, he's going to make this, like, brief diversion into, he's, like, talking about how Trudeau is adding these new offenses and all this, but he's actually uh, uh, making these sort of, like, sentences lighter for, like, drug criminals. Or not uh, gun criminals, not drug criminals. And so there is this other bill 
It's called Bill C-5, which is going to remove a bunch of mandatory minimum sentences. And this is how Ezra reacts to that. Now, at one point, uh, Ezra is going to say uh, Bill C-6, and then he, like, says Bill C-5 later. It's just Bill C-5. He just misspeaks. And this is a bit of a long clip, but just watch as he, like, walks through uh, every every bit of this and, and how he reacts to the removal of these mandatory minimum sentences. Now, Trudeau says he's going to increase penalties for certain gun crimes. Now, I got a one-question IQ test for you. Do you believe him? I mean, do you really think he'd increase criminal penalties for anything uh, other than being a trucker who peacefully protested against him? When he says he'll increase penalties, well, he says that, but I think he's a bit of a liar because there is a bill in Parliament right now where he says he will do the opposite. It's called Bill C-6. You can find it online. Let me read to you the official government press release announcing it with a bit of background about it just, from just a few months ago. Uh, this background is called Bill C-5, Mandatory Minimum Penalties to be Repealed. So you might remember that Stephen Harper brought in mandatory minimum sentences for a, a variety of serious crimes, including a lot of gun crimes. Trudeau is keeping just a few of those for murder, for using guns in a gang. Okay, good. But for almost everything else, he is literally reducing the prison sentences. He's reducing them, including, as you can see, let's just go through this list. Using a firearm or imitation firearm in commission of an offense, two different offenses. Possession of a firearm or weapon, knowing its possession is unauthorized. Possession a prohibited or restrictive firearm with ammunition. Oh, I thought he said he was cracking down on handguns, but now he's reducing the penalties. Possession of weapon obtained by commission of an offense, so stealing a gun. Weapons trafficking. I thought he said he was cracking down on smuggling. Possession for purpose of weapons trafficking. This is exactly what he just claimed he wants to get tough on. He's reducing the sentences. Importing or exporting knowing it is unauthorized. He just said he was going to crack down on a Bill 5, reduces the penalties. Discharging firearm with intent. Discharging firearm, recklessness. Robbery with a firearm. You're reducing mandatory minimum sentences on that. Extortion with a firearm. Selling of tobacco products and raw leaf tobacco. It's got nothing to do with guns, but most of them do. So you're really, really mad at gun crime. You're super mad, so mad. You're going to reduce the uh, sentences of pretty much every gun crime you could think of, except murder. So I can do it. I can get it across the border. <laughs> <laughs> well, like... I, it's not I, a crime anymore, Jody. <laughs> this so silly because he's complaining about the gun laws you you would think that then he would be in favor of like re reducing or removing the mandatory minimum sentences because like I, I, <laughs> especially if you're like you're worried about like i don't know some farmer getting uh caught in some like has a gun that's like not made right or whatever you don't want him to get like mandatory a five years. Full of assault rifles that he's <laughs> trying to sneak across the border with. Well, I mean, like, so for example, I mean, I actually think 
that Bill C-5 is a step in the right direction in terms of re- mm. removing mandatory minimum sentences. What I don't yeah. like is in Bill C, the, the Bill C-21, I think it is, the, the one that has to do with the, uh, the banning of the firearms and stuff like this, because mm-hmm. they increased the maximum sentence you can get. So they increased it from 10 to 14 years. So it is going to be up to the judge's discretion. So like there is an element in which it is good that you don't have mandatory minimum sentences so that, I don't know, some kid in the suburbs who's uh, got a gun because he's involved in, you know, some gang activity or whatever. And then the the suburbs, not like. (laughs) And then the police officer comes in and arrests him. And uh, he gets, like, a mandatory, like, five years in prison when, like, maybe a judge can go, you got your whole life ahead of you. I'm not going to slap you with five years. We're going to give you a reduced sentence, right? Like, that is a better system. I don't like that they increase the threshold where they could, if they really wanted to, uh, give you 14 years for some of these crimes. But, like, like, I think the removing of the mandatory minimums is is good. And, And largely, like, the justification for Bill C-5 was to do with the fact that uh, a lot of these mandatory minimum sentences were increasing the rate of imprisonment of black and indigenous people of color within Canada. Mm -hmm. In part, not just because obviously the conservative right-wing take on that is, oh, they're committing more crimes, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like, no, those communities were being targeted more frequently by the police, even though uh, white people would be just as likely to have illegal guns or whatnot. The other part of it is that uh, given systemic injustices, some of the paperwork that other people might have uh, within certain, say, indigenous communities might not be adequate. Uh, and so they were being specifically targeted by the the police and given these more harsher sentences. When in those cases, it's like any judge would probably look at that and go, do we need to put this person away for a long time with a mandatory sentence or should we be able to reduce this? Because like they're generally a law-abiding citizen. They just failed to fill out some paperwork, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in that case, like, yeah, there's elements here, again, that I think, you know, we got to give kudos where kudos can be given, but, like, this is a better uh, bill that uh, the Trudeau government is uh, trying to accomplish. Now, yeah. again, uh, they often drag their feet to take forever to do these things, but, <laughs> but at least it's on the table, you know? It's something. Yeah. So, again, you would, I, I still think that Ezra should be in favor of this. He's not because he's a conservative and, like, I think he really likes the idea of black and indigenous people being in prison. But, li- like, listen, he is going to tell this story <laughs> of this hypothetical. And in listening to the hypothetical, I'm like, this is the exact scenario for why removing the mandatory minimums would be good, but he frames it as like something that's bad as a result of the other bill, Bill C-21. If you're a farmer, you've probably had a rifle in your family since you were a kid. Maybe you inherited it from your dad. Maybe that's a rifle, seriously, that your dad brought back from World War II or World War I. There's probably some farms and ranches. It's not rare to have firearms almost 100 years old. You probably have a magazine for that gun that holds, I don't know, more than five bullets. And you might have even forgotten about it. Or you just can't get around to buying a new magazine because Justin Trudeau said so. So you've just been turned into a criminal because Trudeau 
change some paperwork from six bullets to five bullets. You've been lawful your whole life. You've never used the gun for anything other than, I don't know, shooting at the odd coyote coming to uh, menace your farm. But Trudeau said a piece of property you have is now enough to turn you into a criminal. You might have even forgotten about it. But now you are a gun criminal. So real gun criminals can go free faster. That's what Bill C-5 is about. Farmers and ranchers have now been criminalized. All because Trudeau saw some news in Uvalde, Texas, that he knew he could exploit. He's standing on those dead bodies as he makes his political move. I just had to add that, that additional at the end there of him standing on the dead bodies. It's like, fuck off. <laughs> but like, does he not understand this? <laughs> does he think that farmers just have like Maxim guns sitting around or like, you know, World War Two, World War One machine guns? Because he said 100 years old. Yeah, they got like muskets. <laughs> like... We're shooting coyotes and muskets. Like, I... With multi, more than five shots, muskets, and, like, you know, breech-loading rifles. You know, the ones where you have to do, like, this every time. No, I know muskets predate uh, World War II and World War I machinery, but it's, like, to me, it's it's just still silly. I mean, silly in in the case, because this is exactly why reducing the mandatory minimums would be good. In his... If... For whatever reason, his weird made-up hypothetical comes true, and the police comes knocking on Gramps' house <laughs> and finds Gramps has a World War II rifle that is not registered with the government. Then you want a judge to go, come on now. <laughs> Does Gramps deserve five years in prison, or we can give him a slap on the wrist, make him, like, register his gun and go home? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's why reducing the mandatory minimums is good. And yet he, like, he completely doesn't understand that. Like, I, I, I don't even know why he's, like, struggling with this point. Because he's still, he's like, they're letting the real criminals go while they're punishing grips. And it's like, no, like, reducing the mandatory is going to make the situation for both better. Like, I don't know. He's an idiot. <laughs> hmm. So yes, uh, that that is our gun segment. That is all he has to to say about the guns. And uh, you know, it's interesting because this is a topic that is huge on the right in America, but it almost never comes up. And like we've never had to talk about it on the show, I don't think. So uh, it was interesting to go through that. But I don't know. I I think this is an easy win for liberals to pass these laws to a certain extent because like I don't think it it challenges their own sort of like. Beliefs, maybe reducing the mandatory minimums is is a bit like uh, compared to just the handgun bans is a little bit of like a better policy. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think in terms of like finding ways to like, yes, go. You were good here and like pressuring the government. Uh, this might be it because like, I don't know. Bill C-5, at least from my reading of it, seems OK. Uh, yeah. Reduce those mandatory minimums. But now, <laughs> now we move on to uh, the interview segment. Monday, my, our their Tuesday episode was a slog. Uh, just in such rich content for the show, all right? We get an interview with Mark Morano, uh, you know, co-host, or a frequent guest of Alex Jones' show, climate denier, 
all-around kooky person who thinks like I guess uh, leftist environmentalists want to promote cannibalism to save the planet or something. He's an odd guy. And they're on to talk about the greening of the military. And they, their first argument is that, uh, and Ezra agrees with him, is that the military should not be thinking about CRT, reading Mal, or learning about the climate because they're supposed to be solely focused on bombing people. So <laughs> Sorry, reading Mal? Yeah, well, don't you remember? So it's General Milley or whatever. He's the, he's the one guy who I guess uh, it was Matt Gates asked him a question about CRT in the military or something. And he was like, yeah, I want to read something like Mao so that I know what my enemy is reading kind of thing. So he wasn't even being like, I'm pro Chairman Mao. But like the right wing just fucking ran with that. <laughs> it, it's just amazing how the right wing like ran with that though. It's like, he's pro CRT. He's like, oh my God, he's a, he's a leftist. And it's like General Milley is not a leftist. This guy is a far right fucking general in the american military you know but uh but because he wants to learn the books of his enemy he's <laughs> he's now a leftist i don't know comrade millie they get into a conversation so like the, the whole idea of like you need the military to be solely focused on bombing people is also ridiculous you, you would think that like they can learn other things or do other things as well but apparently at all times the military must be solely focused on bombing people which leads into this weird conversation that they go on for quite a long time about. And so I want to pose you this question before we play the clip, which is, what climate do you think is more likely to cause war? Hot. Cold. <laughs> Changed. <laughs> Changed. Well, uh, your answer is uh, wrong because the correct answer, according to Mark Morano, is cold. But it's scary when you look at a, a United States arm of our military literally going all in and saying it's the existential threat. It's the focal point of our mission. Um, and again, it's going to have real consequences. They're talking about electric vehicles, electric uh, battle battleships and all other sorts of amphibious assault ships. And the question is, is this really doable or are they just talking about one or two that they can have for PR photo ops? Well, I think that's more likely, but it's going to be a big diversion of time, energy, manpower, strategy, because as they're focusing on all climate and virtue signaling, they're not actually looking at real threats out there. And that's what's so unbelievable. I mean, all of these people should be disqualified immediately by calling climate change a greatest existential threat, and we're going to make it our focal point. And the opposite, Ezra, when you look at the actual data, Center for Strategic International Studies, cooler periods have brought the most conflict, the most wars. That is the part you worry about if you're going through. When we have warm times like the medieval climate optimum, warm times like today, they're called optimums because that's when you have huge agricultural output, peace, plenty. When you have cold times, you have scarcity, droughts, famines which lead to conflict and war so the navy our military has it ass backwards sorry to use such a crass term but they have it completely reversed cooler times is when you'd worry about a military threat from any climate not yeah. more that's right you know medieval times famously peaceful are, are 
current war, there hasn't been war since the climate has increased in the last uh, 10, 15 years. It's not, there's not been a single war. Medieval times. No. When there was a war called the Hundred Years War. <laughs> it was a time of plenty. It was warm and plentiful, you know? It was, it was perfect and neutral and plentiful to the point where they had excess people to throw into wars. <laughs> so, <laughs> no crusades. No. This is such a stupid no. argument. The best is like, Ezra could have just left it alone, but Ezra adds some. So here he <laughs> This is Ezra's contribution. I, I disagree with the Navy that, that global warming is an existential threat. I think the globe has warmed and cooled over the millennium, as you point out, the warmer times have been better times in the history of mankind. Uh, as our friend um, Patrick Moore points out, yeah. look at the warmer parts of the world, like the equator teems with life. The biggest cities in the world are near the equator. The more you go to the poles, the colder it is, the less there is different species and the smaller the cities. You don't have 20 million person cities in the Arctic because life is difficult when it's cold. People like warmth. They migrate to warmth. Warm times are good because beach times. Yeah. I, I just want to be like, what are you, you know what else is near the equator? It's this thing called the Sahara Desert, <laughs> which is not, te which is teeming with about as much life as Antarctica is. And no, it's got more. It's got more? Well, depends on where. And probably, no, I, I think you're underselling no. the penguins and plankton and stuff like this. Uh, you're being very mean to our boys under the sea. <laughs> yeah, but Antarctica is too cold for like a lot of insect species, whereas like Sahara is pretty nice. Sure, but where are the uh, civilizations within the Sahara Desert? <laughs> well, there used to be a lot more, and then it got more desertified. <laughs> <laughs> but warmer but climates too, are supposed uh... to... Don't you understand? The warm is... Uh, I also would like to to point out to Ezra that, like, there's also... It, it's called, like, the Goldilocks zone of where a planet can be in uh, relation to its sun, where, like, if you're too close, you're like Venus or Mercury, and then nothing is going to live there. And if you're too far, it's cold, right? It's called nope. the Goldilocks zone. <laughs> uh -uh. Warm is always better, Jody. <laughs> If we could move to Venus right now, I would. I, I, I hate these people. <laughs> could you, like, I love, like, there's scientists out there putting in so much energy and resources into figuring out the climate and to, like, do something about our, our climate changing and to warn the public. And, like, Ezra and Mark just sit around going, the, the people live in hot places not in cold places therefore hot better <laughs> hot better yeah if i could live in a desert i would fair enough you know they do they do call them desert tundras uh as well fuck you it's <laughs> i'm in a hot one <laughs> Because that's where the people are. People migrate to the warmth. Yeah, I want sunlight, Jody. Oh, Lord. So uh, <laughs> they then somehow get from this conversation to the fact that the left wing infiltrates everywhere 
and we're just we're undermining all the institutions from within uh <laughs> including corporations and the military apparently and uh this this is all to promote the woke CRT trans climate agenda Go back 30 years, Ezra. What did the left progressives say? They railed on big business as the corporate raiders, yeah, as the Wall destruction Street. of the little man, Wall Street, well, the whole Wall Street project. And what happens now? Silent. Not, now there's not only silence, they're promoting big business to the point where they support policies like lockdowns, which boost big corporate pharma, America yeah. and big tech and, cha- and retail chains, but crush the small business because they know now that every corporate board in America cowers and, and bows down to the woke CRT trans climate agenda. And hmm. that is what's happening now, expanding, as you're absolutely right, into the military. They know you can't defeat an institution. You need to take it over. They are masters at it. And as I have to leave you with the words, I think it was Vivek Ramaswamy who, came, who did the book Woke Inc., And he explains for 40 years after Ronald Reagan, we were on guard from threats at the front door to fight against freedom, democracy, capitalism. But we didn't realize the real threat came in from the back door. And it was the merging of the sort of corporate government uh, and ideology, which we're seeing here, of course, backed by China. And now it's extending into our military. So. This has happened. Most people are. It's uh, most people have no clue how it happened. It's, a, it's actually ingenious of how this happens. How they infiltrate the institutions, take over the boards. That's right. It's so ingenious, which is why no one even saw it coming. No one saw the the woke CRT trans climate agenda coming in the back door. They were they were prepared for a frontal assault, but we snuck in the back. <laughs> This, you know, we're doing the long march through the institutions, you know, it it's just it's striking me that this is the new, uh, you know, protocols of the elder of Zion uh, Jewish conspiracy. But instead of it being Jews, it is woke CRT trans climate people all secretly working together to undermine our institutions. It's, <laughs> you know, all the meetings we go to, you know, it's our agenda. We, we sit there, take uh, meeting minutes and uh, all to like, what, what have we under? This is the thing that annoys me. What, what are these institutions doing other than just like supporting uh, pride flags because it's pride month? You know, when are they actually going to do anything at all? Like, if the leftists really undermined them, that we would we would see results, wouldn't we? No, we're seeing results, Shodi. They changed their Twitter icons in June. That's You're right. the proof. Yeah. I think as well to, like, all the, like, anti-trans bills that are passing in the United States right now. And, uh... It's like if if we've really undermined them and taken control of everything, like why why can't we pass like pro trans bills or like you know if we really had any power at all, why why are, are we not winning any of those battles? You know. Well, Jody, we have complete control over the bureaucracies, but we don't control the legislatures. So those brave legislative rebels, like every Republican government. 
but apparently we have control over the military, so why don't we cue this mother? <laughs> Jody, we believe in democracy, apparently. Um, we believe in the power of voting. If we only vote harder and stronger next time. No, but they, so they think that we created the voter fraud. It's the woke CRT. We but we're, but we're, you said we're pro-democratic. Sure. <laughs> I, you know what? We should just become conspiracy theorists from now on. And like nothing we say or do has to make any sense. And we yeah. will just say it. And then people will give us money because they'll be like, oh, yeah. Tell us, tell us who's secretly, secretly in control, but there's no evidence they exist. And I'll be like, the moth people. And then, <laughs> well, we are the moth people. You just don't know. And there's a secret cabal of moth people. And it's ingenious because they're so good at what they do. They've taken over every institution, but there's no evidence that they did it. That's how fucking good they are, man. They got it. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like this. I think we should do this. Oh my god. Where do we go from this? Alright, so Ezra <laughs> we're gonna end this fucking Mark Morano segment. So Ezra and uh is talking to Mark about I guess this Obama official who appeared on Charlie Rose and in the segment so this is an older segment, because uh, I think Charlie Rose was uh me too'd off the scene, thankfully. Uh but this Obama official was on Charlie Rose and was talking about this incident where they could have uh, bombed some sort of oil uh, plant or ship and uh, that was currently under control of ISIS, and they refrained from doing it. And the reasons he gave was that it was going to have a large effect on the infrastructure, which they didn't want to destroy, but then also the emissions, excuse me, the emissions would have been bad if they just blew up this facility or ship or whatever. Okay, and so Ezra focuses on the fact that like the Obama person was saying that the emissions would have been bad. When, of course, that was not the only factor, but the, the just because that was a factor, Ezra is going to lose his mind about it and then somehow makes it about China. So uh, strap in. <laughs> Mark, they literally made a tactical decision that they weren't going to hurt the bad guys because hurting the bad guys would involve fire and burning of carbon. It would also involve burning of the carbon of, of the bad guys' bodies. War is quite fiery. War is quite deadly. They literally were going to spare this financial lifeline to ISIS because they were worried of some puffs of smoke and CO2. That was a real military decision made by Obama. I actually think maybe they mean it. Sir, we have the uh, Liaoning Chinese aircraft carrier in our sights. Should we fire? No, don't do that. An explosion of that aircraft carrier would be too carbon intensive. Hold your fire. You know, I think America has destroyed enough Middle Eastern infrastructure to last a little while. And maybe it's all right to be like, hmm, should we destroy the thing that keeps this country running? Maybe we should try to recapture it instead. Is not a bad strategic way of thinking? No, like, you see, Vienno, now you're adding thinking. 
So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, say there's this Chinese aircraft, for example. <laughs> and you, nuke, and you, nuke every oil field, <laughs> nuke every aircraft carrier. We're good. We're done. And you're just like, you know, should we start a nuclear conflict with a large world power? That That's thinking. You just got to bomb that aircraft carrier. <laughs> Don't you fucking think about it. Just bomb it to smithereens. If you find yourself <laughs> at a screen with a button, and the button is the nuclear button, and you see anything on that screen, you got to press the button. Yeah, you got to get rid of that fast. God, if you, you gotta make this, you gotta make the screen blank, please. Well, you know, there's some other person. Make it over, go away. Someone's at the other monitor, you know, reading Marcuse or some shit, and then they don't press the button. They've been thinking way too much, you know. You need no, to. Yeah. <laughs> we need we need action, not words. They're so fucking stupid. I don't. How can anyone listen to this and go? You know what? This is I'm gonna throw money at this. This is this is a project I wanna reinforce. Dear Lord. Like you gotta think, like, even like right-wing people who care about like, I don't know, like military shit have to hear this and go, Ezra's out of his fucking mind. Right? <laughs> you would hope. You would hope. My god. Yeah, I don't have that much hope, unfortunately. Neither do I. Uh, but dear Lord. So we, we now... <laughs> that's it. That was the end of the show. We get to bomb a Chinese aircraft uh, without hesitating because hesitating would be a part of the uh, woke CRT trans agenda. But now we move on to June 1st, finally. The Wednesday. And Ezra spends the first half talking about how this new CEO of WestJet criticized Trudeau's vaccine mandate. And I... Don't care. <laughs> really don't care. Uh, so Ezra likes the CEO and praises him for sticking up against Trudeau. But that, yeah, I don't care. Then we get to the interview segment, which is with, again, some guy who, who started making frequent appearances recently. I guess he used to be a friend of Ezra's like way back. But because of inflation, my guess is they're like going to him a lot more. Uh, which is Franco Terrazano of the Taxpayers Federation. Of course. And he's on to talk about this group that's called Generation Squeeze. They've been meeting with Trudeau to promote a home equity tax. And Trudeau is adamant that he's not going to impose a home equity tax. But Franco uh, thinks this is troubling. Like, if he's not going to do it, he shouldn't even be meeting with this group kind of thing. That's sort of like how they start this conversation. Now, I will get to the home equity tax thing in a second, but first I want to play a clip because even like as I say it now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, how is this home equity tax going to deal with something like housing affordability, which is what Generation Squeeze cares about? And this question, Ezra actually puts to Franco, okay? I'm surprised that Ezra even thought to ask this question, but this is an actually good question. And then let's see uh, how Franco responds to this question. We, of course, you and I disagree with the idea of this tax. We could talk more about that. But just if they were here, how would they argue that taxing homes makes homes more affordable? Like, how do they square that circle? They must have some intricate argument. Do you know, do you know how they put it? 
Well, it, it more so seems if you read the re their news release around this report, it's almost like they're trying to punish the homeowners for getting these so-called windfall gains um, on their home prices. But let's remember for so many Canadians, for our parents and our grandparents, their homes are their nest eggs. Yeah. They rely on the sale of their homes to be able to afford to fund their own golden years. So do you feel like that answered the question? No. <laughs> so, uh, he he goes on to like then he he pulls out this he's like we did a home equity tax calculation to see how much this is going to cost people and like he goes on a whole thing but d does not answer the question at all. So I went and found Generation Squeeze's sort of like information, and the plan kind of makes sense to me. So their idea is to tax the top 10% of homeowners, so those who have homes above a million dollars, and then you start putting a, a tax on them. And the reason this is supposed to slow down uh, the, the cost of uh, housing that keeps going up is because the tax is supposed to create a kind of like artificial limit to how much wealth you can drive out of the market, which should like prevent the increasing happening in the other houses. Because it's like, you can't get that much money at that. There's gonna be a limit where you can't get any more like wealth out of it. So that's gonna somehow slow it down. At least this is the theory. Will sure. it work? I'm not an economist, yeah. I have no fucking clue. But like, this is at least the theory. And then the idea is to use the taxes that they get from that 10% to then use as a, uh, to build more affordable homes as well, which arguably would have a better effect, in my opinion, uh, uh, just building the more affordable homes. But at the same extent, I don't really care about taxing the rich, tax the fucks, tax the rich, you know, that's, <laughs> do not care. The other thing that's like silly, so like uh, Franco then speculates that the house prices are going up because the government printed too much money. And, uh, you know. True. <laughs> that's, yeah. All dollars in Canada exist as physical bills somewhere. Um, it, yeah. Yeah, they're just, they're just hiding in the bank, you know? To, I, I just, I, I hate, I hate, because here's the thing is like what they're, what he sort of connects this to is the recent, like, uh, COVID spending, like, the CERB and stuff like this. Yet, it's arguable that that had a stimulating effect, that inflation would have been worse if we didn't do that. That being said, even if you were to say that that, like, had some effect and therefore is causing homes to increase, homes were increasing way before this. The housing market has nope. been... <laughs> been increasing for, wrong. for decades nope well no there's no bubble what do I there know? was never a bubble before the past year yeah yeah it was i mean pure, it was stable you could buy a you could buy a house for like you know a grilled cheese sandwich type of thing it was so easy to get and then true COVID comes along and suddenly it's hundreds of thousands of grilled cheese sandwiches that you gotta pay they shouldn't have printed so many grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, just like wheelbarrows and wheelbarrows and wheelbarrows full of them. Well, yeah, and when you print the money, it makes the money sad, apparently. You would think yeah. that...
printing more of the money would make the money happy, but apparently makes it sad. Jody, we're in hyperinflation territory. Um, this is Weimar Germany, you know? <laughs> they got to change my hourly rate every, like, every, like, 30 minutes so that I can get paid and, you know, afford to live. And this didn't happen until Serb, so... Yep. Yeah. No, I mean, all wages were living wages prior to the pandemic, apparently. All wages were so good, in fact. It wasn't just living, it was thriving. (laughs) Everybody was so happy. Um, I could spend $10,000 in an afternoon and not even notice. Easily. But now... Now it costs $10,000 to get a nice, cool glass of lemonade. What have we done? What have what has become of us? <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord. So they... <laughs> I mean, like, I know Ezra... Ezra doesn't mention it this episode, but I do know his problem is, like, immigration is the reason for the high cost of housing. And, like, in all the episodes that they've done to tackle this issue, they have not talked about a single solution to the problem. It just seems either like stop printing money and stop immigration as if like those things even make any sense whatsoever. And like it struck me this time around where it's like it's interesting that they keep bringing this up because they are aware that this is an issue and this is something they need to talk about. It's just that like nothing about their worldview can give them a solution that like mm. it, it, their worldview is the problem it, it is the thing that's creating the problem so they're aware it's a problem they like they're want to feed into this like populist idea that like, they're there for the people who can't afford their homes and yet like they're incentivized to promote solutions which would make the problem worse <laughs> yep and so it's just fascinating like like in my mind, I would just, like, not cover it, you know? But it's, like, almost like they're compelled to cover it, even though they know they can't really do anything about it or can't even propose a solution to it. It's like, I don't know. Just don't cover it. It's pretty easy. <laughs> nope, you gotta cover it, Jody. You gotta talk about the inflation. You gotta talk about the sonic inflation. Um, the sonic inflation? You gotta... Yeah, you got to look up sonic inflation on Google Images uh, and talk about it. Um, True. And, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. Whatever, dudes. So we get to June 2nd. And Ezra spends the first half of the show talking about a Twitter fight he had with a global news reporter named Rachel Gilmore. Uh, He complains that the media doesn't criticize Trudeau enough, and Rachel responds with articles she has written criticizing Trudeau, one of which is about Trudeau not moving fast enough when it comes to the online anti-hate legislation, and Ezra responds that this is not a criticism of Trudeau because you're merely saying you agree with Trudeau, you just don't think he's moving fast enough. But I'm like, that's still a good criticism of Trudeau. Yeah, like that's <laughs> within the framework. That's kind of the best we got. But like in Ezra's head, it's like you have to you have to disagree with everything that Trudeau says, or you're not actually criticizing him. Yeah, which is not what criticism is. <laughs> you know, 
That's... No, I don't know. You don't know? That No. All right, Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing that's weird to me, so like we recently talked about the conservative leadership debate. And it was hosted by uh, Tom Clark, or moderated by Tom Clark, who yeah. was this guy who asked like really light questions, like, what is your favorite show on Netflix? <laughs> and Ezra hated this. And like he realized that there's this clip that he always used to play, which was Tom Clark asked Justin Trudeau on an airplane, what, what shampoo does he use? And mm-hmm. Ezra's like, this is evidence of like the media party going light on Trudeau. But then when he watched Tom Clark's performance at this debate, he was just like, maybe that's just who Tom Clark is. So I thought he was going to retire the Tom Clark uh, bit. But no, in this, because he's talking to Rachel Gilmore and she says that she criticizes Trudeau and he disagrees that it's a criticism. He plays the Tom Clark bit again of Tom Clark asking Trudeau about what shampoo he uses and doesn't mention all the stuff about the debate and he just plays it as if like this is evidence that the the media party goes light on uh light on trudeau even though they went light on the conservative debates by asking them what netflix they watch if it works it works jody i context does not matter (laughs) journalism (laughs) does not need context is like it was what was it like last week when did we do that episode yeah it was uh, <laughs> two weeks ago maybe two weeks ago and yet it was like he's already is like forget all the the points when i came to my own self-realization and became aware that this clip is not useful anymore i am still going to use it for my propagandistic purposes i'm just going to steam right ahead and just ignore my own self-criticism jody do you think he remembers that I'm starting to think he's a goldfish. <laughs> yeah. Don't be mean to goldfish. They have surprisingly good memory. Okay, give me an animal that lacks a uh, memory capacity. He's functioning like he's barely capable of functioning more than a bacterium. <laughs> Fuck you, Jody. Don't be mean to bacteria. They can uh, learn from their experiences. Well, we, I know. I was, but like, not not well. I like well. Okay, maybe Ezra, Ezra underperforms. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So uh, so yeah, we they then I guess they did a premiere for their trucker rebellion thing. I didn't care. They didn't talk about it. Uh, I still want to watch a copy of this because it's them covering the Coots blockade, which is where the the guns were found and those people were posting some stuff that's getting them into trouble. And uh, yeah, I, I would like to watch it, but instead what they did was they released like a, a theatrical presentation, which they said they like sold out and like it was a small theater and there was like maybe 30 people in the audience. <laughs> okay. But they, they sold out that, I think it was a Calgary or Edmonton venue. Uh, and then they had- We should have gone. They had Chad Williamson, their star lawyer, who's currently representing some of those people with the guns. Uh he came and gave a talk and stuff like this. So anyways, they're they're not releasing it publicly for whatever reason yet. But uh, I wait with bated breath. Yeah, I really want to see that one. 
it's probably going to suck. But I just want to see yeah, it for, for like uh, journalistic purposes. I want to see if any of the background characters look like some of the people who were arrested and like how uh, cozy they were with Rebel or whether they edited all that footage out. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, so we now move to the Friday, June 3rd. And uh, this, of course, was the day after the Ontario election. And... Ezra comes right out of the gates talking about the low voter turnout, which is the big news story involving the election. And so I want to ask you, Vienna, what do you think Ezra thinks is, uh, I guess, the cause of the low voter turnout? Um, people love Doug Ford so much that they knew he was going to win. They didn't even need to show up. All right. Let's see uh, how close you are to reality. Well, last night was the election in the province of Ontario. Not a lot of people cared. I think one reason is there really wasn't a lot of difference on the key issues amongst the parties. They all supported lockdowns. There really was no daylight between them. Lockdowns. <laughs> Should have thought of that one. That was an obvious one. Right at the gates, so I'm just like, th- there was a anti-lockdown party running called the new blue. So if you're right that the main parties suppress the vote because the main issue that didn't get covered was lockdowns, there was a party that people could go and support <laughs> that would indicate parties, Jody. Sure. But it would at least signal that actually the people did care about this issue. And it was the main issue that they really cared about, which is why they went and voted. But that didn't happen. They got, what, was like 2% of the vote? 1% of the vote? I think it was 1%. But uh, I think it was more than that. The new blue? I thought it was like 1 point something. Maybe I'm wrong. It might have been all together. The like far right ones got like 4%. But... but either way, they didn't do too great either. And uh, the next clip I'm going to play is Ezra reflecting on that. So he is going to touch on why the the uh, far-right parties all seem to do poorly during the election. So here it goes. Uh, there were small parties on the right in this campaign. It happened mainly over the key issue of our time, the lockdowns and the civil liberties bonfire and the junk science and the tyranny of unelected doctor bureaucrats. Derek Sloan, a former MP, had his party, the Ontario Party. Jim Carajalios and his wife Belinda had their party, the New Blue Party. There were other MPPs that were kicked out of Doug Ford's caucus. Roman Babber, who's running federally for the Conservatives. Randy Hillier, uh, just to name a few. There were others still. Had they united... They would have been four, five, maybe six or seven. Maybe they would have attracted more MPPs. They would have created a real party that would have been the same size in the provincial parliament as the liberals. There's no way that new party could have been kept out of the of the uh, leaders' debates. And more than that, they could have been an effective opposition force and earned daily media for it. Because they all splintered. Well, united they could have stood, but divided they all fell. 
They fell. They were divided. They were too divided. The only way they could have won is if they stuck together. So the, the reason why they lost was not because most voters actually did not care about this issue. <laughs> no, they lost because they were divided and they fell. I, they needed solidarity. I have a lot of criticisms with like how just a lot of people reported on this. And I don't know if it becomes from my own biased perspective as someone who like called and talked to a lot of people during this election. But like, I called a lot of people on general call lists in the writing of Cambridge, which is Belinda's writing. So it was the where the new blue got their most support. And I I got maybe two people on the line who said they supported Belinda and were going to vote for her. I Other than that, I don't think I talked to a single person who had any thoughts about COVID or the lockdowns or masks or vaccines or any of that. I don't think they cared. I don't think they had any questions about it. They were happy with their vaccines and how life was going in that department and didn't want to talk about it politically. So I don't, it's amazing to me that he could say this. Uh, well, not amazing. Of course he's going to fucking do it. It's just like, for someone who like spent my time getting out there in the community, no one cares about this. <laughs> you know, I would argue sadly because I think some of these issues are important, but like not once did it come up. Uh, gas prices came up a lot. Affordability of housing came up a lot. Cuts to healthcare and education came up a lot. But that was about it. I also think that there was a lot of people on the left, at least on social media, that had the typical things where it's like, if only parties offered a better solution, would people be on their side or something like this? And I don't even know if that's the case. Like, I find that a lot of people, at least when you go to door to door to all the people who would be able to vote, most of them just don't know what's going on. And for good reasons... Like, they're busy with their lives, and then they see this whole political thing, and then go, oh, I have to invest time in this and figure out what the hell's going on? I gotta feed my family, I gotta do this, and so they just, I felt like through a lot of people, they didn't want to vote, just out of like, I don't care. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, I don't know if like, I mean, part of it is gonna have to be about like a charismatic leader, you know? It's And, like, sadly, because I wish it was about policy, but, like, if you had, like, just anyone up there, like, say Andrea Horvath was out there just, like, spitting out, like, all the best policies ever, unless she did so charismatically, no one would listen, you know? Because you got to, like, break through the fact that people are, like, struggling day to day and don't have the time to, like, research and look into this. I had so many people on the phone that were just like, uh... I still got to read things. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> and I could try my best over the phone to like, tell them like, Oh, well, like, have you thought about these issues, et cetera, et cetera. But like, people are busy. I don't know. And like, I think there are criticisms to be made of say the party of your choice about whether or not they are reaching people, but that's a different story. And it's not going to be policy. It's going to be about having volunteers show up and about reaching people. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's that's my sort of assessment of the election. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted going through Ontario's, um, like, the election results on Wikipedia, because uh, I found a party called the People's Progressive Common Front, 
Uh, All right. They clearly didn't win anything, but no. What are they? Good question. <laughs> I mean, they have progressive in the believe... names, so I'm kind of like, no. So they're not progressive. They're like no. a far right party. I don't know. <laughs> Weird. They're very anti-COVID vaccine. Um, like they call it gene therapy, and oh my god! All right. All um. Right. But, like, their front pages, a random stock photo of, like, a hijabi going, like, just very loud, like, great yeah. thumbs up, like. <laughs> no vaccines! And, like, yeah, it's just so. And it says, we're Ontarians in defense of our Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and a just society for all. And, uh, but anyways, uh. New Blue got 2.72% of the vote. Okay. Um, so 127,000 plus votes. Uh, and Ontario got Ontario Party got 1.8. So they did get like a decent amount of votes. Um, yeah, I was campaigning for Marjorie Knight, as I said in the Cambridge riding, and uh, we pushed her to second place. Cambridge has always been a conservative riding, and so uh, it was not surprising that the conservative won. But uh, we beat the liberals, and that's <laughs> I was like uh, I I wanted it to be such that the the NDP at least in Cambridge came second again, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what happened. And like I think I think a lot of people like I don't know. I I just want to say, regardless of the election results and election turnout and all that fun shit. That uh, what you need to do is start organizing in your community because now with Ford in power again for another four years, four years, another four years, things are going to suck. Yeah, Ford ever. Uh, yeah, Ford Nation is terrible and we are going to live with it uh, for a long time now. So uh, so uh, join a community organization. If, if you're all like tired of voting, at least dedicate some of your effort to that. But you have a puzzled face, Fiano. Oh, this party's policies are so all over the place. <laughs> you, I have one more Ezra clip to end on, which is about a party that you uh, were vaguely associated with. Adjacent to at some point. Ezra wants to talk about the Communist Party and how, how well they did during this election. How well did they? They actually... Well, he's, did yeah, okay, yeah, go. He's, he's going to say it. Here we go. The Communist Party ran candidates. They got 0.04% of the vote. And you might laugh and say, huh, that's a good sign. No, no, no. It's a sign that you don't need the Communist Party in Ontario because all the extreme authoritarian ideas that the Communist Party would have proposed, they've already been absorbed and promulgated by Doug Ford and the Conservatives and egged on by the Liberals and the NDP. Who needs a communist party when every one of their ideas from treating people as prisoners to censoring and silencing dissenting doctors? Who needs a communist party when your conservative party does those things? Did you hear that? The true communist vote is for the conservative party. <laughs> true. <laughs> Correct. Ford Nation is a communist utopia, apparently. <laughs> Listen, they got... 
almost as many votes as they did in 2014 this election. They're close to winning. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably the same people. <laughs> but <sighs> I I don't understand this man. <laughs> I mean, I listened to him now straight for almost four years. And uh yeah, like I guess like his he thinks communism is just authoritarianism. Like that it's like some like synonym or something like this. Where like we have two separate words. Like they can <laughs> they can be used. Uh, Doug Ford is a communist, Jody. Well, I did we see him, uh, him as such. When he when he was taking photos with uh, Faith Goldie, they were like sitting there to read their Mao, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like I, he Doug Ford was pitching a show to David Menzies, okay? <laughs> How did he go from that to, like, now... He went from, like, a guest on Rebel News, uh, a compatriot of of the conservative far right, to now he's a communist. <laughs> All because of vaccines and lockdowns, that's it. Because this shit sucks so bad. Like... Things are, are so much further right than they were two years ago, three years ago. Like, I, I, Yes and no. Like, in Canada, it's weird. They, they don't have the inroads to the parties. The far-right parties keep losing. They, keep, they don't have the mechanisms like America does to move the party further to the right like they want to. But Doug Ford is now a reasonable person. In comparison, and that's kind of the problem. Like, you know, he comes back with an, a bigger majority than, like, I could have imagined before this, and now he seems like a much more reasonable option. Like, Maybe he didn't gain any vote. Like, I feel like fewer people voted for him this year than four years ago, and yet he got more seats because even more fewer people voted for the NDP. So, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, But the issue is that the people don't support him. Like, it's we're in a fucked up place because of this, but it's not because they've been pulled further to the right. Like, the lesson that I think Doug Ford would get from this is not that he needs to move further right, you know? Uh, which is why it's not going to drag the party further to the right, even though I agree with you that he is already far right, you know? Uh, it's just that I don't think that it's going to move them further to the right. Uh, I I think the point where I share your concern is I think the public is normalizing him. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, the extent to which that is happening, I mean, he got fewer votes, but like people also weren't freaked out about him enough to go vote in response to that as well. So, like, I don't know. Uh, it's it's concerning. The normalization of it yeah. is the thing that concerns me. And that is what it is, is... Doug Ford is Fordever Premier is normal, is just a thing. In 2018, it was a nightmare. Now it is just reality. And that's the problem. Like, that is the symbol. That is the sign that things are worse. <laughs> like, no, I will agree with that. I yeah. guess I, I'm thinking more in terms of just like, Uh, power as well but and like i'm glad the far-right parties in comparison to america 
are not having the same successes. Uh, it's just like, you're right, there is an element in which we we normalized Doug Ford in a weird way. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that is a Canada-wide phenomenon, but it's definitely an Ontario phenomenon. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you <laughs> on an audio medium, you were shaking your head back and forth. They kind of like, nah, I don't know. But like, look it's at, like, I don't know. All the other provinces, right? Like, yeah, but it's comp- like you're seeing you are seeing backlashes to them. It's just a matter of like. Again, like Does it mean what, what's being normalized at least what this election is showing at the very least is there's a large segment of the voting base that is not turning up. And uh, I think that a lot of what's going to happen now is a lot of people are going to offer their two cents about why they did or did not show up. And the, the only thing that I could think of is like, one, I mean, we got two programs we pitched on our show, which is one, getting involved locally in community building uh, and and that'll be good even just in terms of like making your community safer when Doug Ford is going to roll back a lot of the social safety net in place. Mm-hmm. The other part of it is like if you if you want to get any party elected you need people out there doing the work and getting people to show up on election day. And I think that there is blame for the party in the sense that I think that a lot of the activist base within the NDP was not invigorated because of the uh, whether you think that it was a weak platform or we were just exhausted with Andrew Horvath or whatever it is. But like, I mean, like I'm a, I, we've already said this before on streams or even on this podcast. That's like the, the revolution, quote unquote, is not going to happen through the NDP. But like, I still agree that the NDP is, is definitely going to minimize harm they're not going to cut the things that ford is going to cut and if people go on strike i would rather there be an ndp government in charge than a conservative one and so there's ways in which having an ndp government would make things easier for the quote-unquote revolution if and when that happens but it's like instead we just phase out and then we get fucking four years of ford and then all of our activist energy is focused on like plugging holes you know uh, which is what it's been for the last four years. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know as well. Uh, but we got we got four years to fucking ignore that shit. So, four nation. <laughs> yeah. Buck of beer is now a buck twenty five because of inflation. We're <laughs> seceding from Canada, forming four nation. <laughs> We're taking over Detroit. We're reopening the auto factories. <laughs> Poor nation. Oh my god. They get... <laughs> the Ford F-10,000. <laughs> Hop on in the Ford F-10,000 with your book 25 beers. Come on, brothers. <laughs> We're off to the promised land of Kelowna. <laughs> no, Kelowna's in BC. <laughs> yeah. We're taking it. We're taking it. That's part of Ontario now. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can stop the imperialist power of Ford Nation. <laughs> Ford Nation, someday it'll be Ford Earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>
I'm taking you to the United Four Nations. <laughs> oh my god. The United oh. Four Nations Security Council Resolution 69. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there was this interesting article in Negation Mag, uh, Negation Magazine called Who Needs a Party? It was an interesting read. It had some fun little history tidbits. Um, I don't fully agree with it, but it was still something that was like worth, you know, reading and digesting a little bit. Uh, is that so the one yeah, that's a, that. a history of the Communist Party? Hmm? Didn't it say that it was a history of the Communist Party or did I misread it? Yeah, you did. Or was like a history of like, the communist it's, movements, or it's a history of the communist party, kind of as a concept. Ah, yeah. Because I was um, gonna say it begins with uh, Marx and ends with Dougie Ford. <laughs> <laughs> the United Soviet Socialist Ford Nations. <laughs> oh. Uh. Yeah, that's it. That's all. <laughs> we we could, like Ontario has broken our brains. This is uh, yeah. this is where we're at. But uh, yeah, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on Patreon.com/slash/ImperialNews. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at ImperialNews with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at eight PM Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. And thank you for listening. And Ontario, you canceled because you're four nation now. <laughs> Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields?